0: Welcome to the church at Suncoast. Our Sunday morning worship starts at 11 a.m., Sunday school at 10 a.m., and Wednesday fellowship at 5:30 p.m. And now sit back, relax, and let's meditate on the Word of God. I'm always amazed when I get a package in the mail of furniture that Karen has ordered. We got one just the other day of a bench and a table for the kids to do their, grandkids to do their homework and play games on, of how small the package is. I'm like, really, there's a table and chairs and, and it all comes all mashed up with a thousand different screws and a thousand different bolts and those little wooden pegs, you know, and sometimes the wooden pegs don't fit in right and it would drive you nuts. I, I actually opened the box thinking I'd have my grandsons help me put it all together. And when I saw the thousands of pieces, I thought this is this is a disaster waiting to happen. I closed the box and we went and played outside. When you begin to unpack Christianity and begin to understand religion as a whole, there's a thousand questions that you have along the path. Uh, it's good to ask those questions. It's it's good to get answers for those questions. Uh, tonight's uh, in, in the study on grace is an opportunity for you to ask those questions. There are sincere questions that all of us have along the path, and Jesus was not immune to these questions. In Matthew chapter 9, there come some disciples of John in chapter 9, verse 14. Now, some of the questions Jesus were, was confronted with were, were nothing more than traps to bait him into answers that would try to put him down, try to skew him, if you would, on, on the post of, of being an heir. But not this question. This question was a sincere question, and I think for two reasons. Take a look at chapter 9, verse 14. First of all, the questions come, this question comes from the disciples of John the Baptist. John was most likely in prison at that point, or perhaps beheaded, and so they had uh, cut loose of John, of course, and so these were good men who desired God and desired truth. John the Baptist was a great prophet, so the origin of these questions was, were good men. The second reason I think this is a sincere question is because notice who they came to. They came to him, directly to Jesus Christ. That's always the best place to get your questions answered, isn't it? Directly to him. Whenever the scribes and Pharisees asked the questions, they always tried to pull the disciples away from them and ask the disciples. Or just always tried to twist things. But here, these men came right to Jesus Christ. Let me make a side note in in that when you ask questions of any religious leader, or any fellow Christian, the best we can do is try to answer you out of the scripture and out of the truth of what Jesus taught and said. That's our goal, never to share an opinion or a position based on that, but a position based on the scripture. And so they came to him, and notice what they asked. Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples, they do not fast. Good question. Sincere question from men who really wanted to know. Why are you not doing what we're doing over here? Why is it when I come to your church, you're not wearing suits? Why don't you have a visitation program? like our church over there? Why do you have a visitation program when our church doesn't? Why don't you meet on Sunday nights, like our church? Why do you meet on Sunday nights, unlike our church? These questions are still asked, are they not? Why don't you serve the Lord's Supper on a more regular basis? Or why do you do it all the time? We all get into religious ceremonial settings, and sometimes through our whole life we're used to this, and then we come on something different, and we think, well, why aren't they doing this or that? John's disciples said, look, we go without food. We sacrifice. We're we're making sacrificial choices here to serve God and to know God and get closer to God, And, and your disciples look like they're just party animals they are just having a good time with you. They seem way too joyous, way too celebratory, way too non-sacrificial for us. Now, that's a good question. Notice how Jesus answers it. He doesn't talk about fasting. doesn't talk about that at all. He talks about context and person. Notice it down in verse 5, 15. Jesus said to them, ask them a question. Can the bridegroom, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Notice there's no mention of a bride yet. The bride has not shown up, but they have the bridegroom. Follow me? The bride didn't come until the day of Pentecost. We're the bride. We're the church. The church isn't present yet, but the bridegroom is. The wedding guests are those in Jesus' direct proximity, those disciples that are surrounding him. And he said, We're having a celebration because I'm here. You follow that? A Jewish wedding if you might be interested to know lasted seven full days. It wasn't like an afternoon and evening and boom it was done. For seven full days. Family and friends and music and wine and dancing and partying went on day and night seven full days. You, know, you talk about being worn out. We get worn out by one simple little party. Seven days of celebratory behavior? That's what a Jewish wedding was. Seven is God's number for completeness. At the end of that seven days, they were married. Jesus chooses to answer this question by a wedding festival. Isn't that interesting? He goes right to a ceremony of a wedding. What is a wedding, by the way? It's a celebration of the greatest choice you have to make. Who are you going to marry? Let me scan the crowd for the singles and teenagers in our midst. The biggest decision you have to make is who are you going to marry? It's really one of the the biggest and only decisions you have in life, pretty much. You didn't decide when you were born or who you were born to or the family you got thrown into. You, were, you didn't decide on a lot of different things. But you get to choose your wife. You get to choose your husband. That's beautiful, isn't it? Make good choices. By all means. This is a celebration of the greatest choice that you possibly can make. And Jesus said, I am here as the bridegroom. Choose me and celebrate. You know, Jesus chooses who he calls. And you choose who you come to. This is a mutual choice. See, I chose Karen. That wasn't surprising. What was surprising is she chose me. She didn't just like go along with it in the front seat of the Dotson 210 back in 1970, whatever. It took her a while to answer, but she finally did. I tell you, when you ask somebody to marry you, seconds turn into hours. And all of a sudden she said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Twisted my arm. Have you chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you born again? You got to choose, you know. I wasn't always married to Karen. There was a time that I made my choice and she made her choice and we hooked up and we've been hooking up for about 38, 39 years now. But there was a time it started. Was there a time it started for you? Had to be. Had to be. Notice verse 15 again. So Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Of course no. I love that because the Christian life is one of joy and celebration. It's not, it's not drudgery, it's not sacrifice, it's not difficult. It is one continual feast and festival of celebration. I had to come to a time in my Christian life, I began to ask myself some hard questions. Like maybe I'm not doing this thing right because it's so much sacrifice and I'm not enjoying Are you enjoying your Christianity? Almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? Almost sounds like blasphemy to say you actually enjoy your Christianity. Is it a joy to know Jesus Christ? It should be all the time. All the time. Constantly. The constant party. Notice, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Oh, enters the legalists. Oh, the bridegroom has been taken for 2,000 years. We are to mourn and fast. We are to drudge through this thing till Jesus appears in the sky. I don't think that's what that verse is saying at all. There was a time when the bridegroom was taken away from the wedding feast festival and the wedding guest, not the bride. He was taken away when he was crucified on the cross. And for three days he was buried in that grave. Yeah, he was taken away and in that period of time before the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit brought him back to this earth, there was to be mourning and fasting but not today. Not in our age and not now. I reject that. Notice he says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Now forget the idea they had jeans and pants back then. This, is, this isn't the garments that they had. The garments that they had were long robes. If they had a patch or a tear in those garments, they couldn't put cloth that was unshrunk. Because after they put it on there and they patched that garment... The, the cloth would begin to shrink as they normally do. And in the shrinking of that, the tear would become, if, notice he says, for the patch tears away from the garment, and, the, the worst, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Now there was a reason Notice he tells us the reason in verse 17. Neither is new wine, put into old wine. If it is, the skins burst. Why do they burst? Because because the old swine skins are inflexible. They've stretched all they're going to stretch, and they won't stretch anymore, and they become hard, and they become become inflexible, and they can't see anything new, and they can't receive anything new, and such is the religionists. Such as those who are steeped in their culture and their religion and their ceremonies and their rituals. The hardest person to win for Jesus Christ are those who are raised in a religion and they become inflexible to truth. Unable to receive anything new from the scripture. Because I know it all, I've heard it all, I've received it all, I don't need anything else. The inflexibility of an old wineskin... And Jesus said, you don't put new wine into that. That which was of law in the Old Testament is gone. That which was law is gone. Grace came by Jesus Christ. Grace will not fit into law, which we're going to talk about tonight. You can't live your Christian life by doing things and sacrifice." and ceremony, and ritual, and and all the things that you do to make it work, it doesn't work like that. New wine is a growing, fermenting, changing thing. You pour that grace into a wineskin of law, it'll just bust it all to pieces and, 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 and spoil the wine in it inflexible stringent i know all that i know about god you can't tell me anything new i've got my stuff i've got my religion i believe what i believe and that's it won't hear anything else that's 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 difficult we kept all four grandchildren over last night, four out of the five. The little one stole a baby. We kept, we kept four of them over, and we all had dinner around the table, and we had spaghetti because they all like spaghetti. All kids like spaghetti. So we had all the plates on the table, and we got right to no spilling. It was great. Everything was like good until we all got to get up from the table, and I saw it. I saw it happen. Uh, avidly had her plate about two inches over the lip of the thing and as she half of her spaghetti was still on the plate she had a white little furly dress on and as she got up she began to pull the cloth over and I watched in slow motion as the entire plate of spaghetti landed in her lap and so Caleb was was there grabbing Addie at the time was, was tight moments, wasn't it? We all ran over, you know, and we got her up, and you just, ah, it was just it was crazy for those moments, and we got it cleaned up. The, 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 the dress is probably ruined. I spray and washed it, and, but I, I have little hope that it's going to be recovered. So we, we went on from that moment, and this morning we were eating breakfast, and I put the breakfast out for all four grandchildren, okay? And I noticed Avonlea wasn't, wasn't eating. Now, she's one of more, our more aggressive grandchildren eating. She's the first to, she'll eat. So I said, Abby, I said, why aren't you eating? She said, Pop, she said, last night I moved and I spilled my spaghetti. So I'm not going to move and then I won't spill my breakfast. I said, man, you got to move. I moved the plate toward her. Eat! 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 we get religious religion dumped in our lap we get messed up in our minds with all this bad theology and bad thoughts about bad theological positions and then somebody comes along with the truth and we're like i'm not moving i'm not moving i'm not eating because the last time i did it spilled all over my lap and we refuse to enjoy the pancakes and eggs and sausage of truth And we quit growing or worse than we never get born again and saved by the truth. I have two friends that I want to visit when I go up to New York in a couple weeks. I have contacted both of them on messenger saying I want to come see you. Both of them know what I'm going to tell them when I arrive. Neither have invited me to come. I love these guys. I went to school with these guys. I played ball with these guys. They know what I'm bringing. I'm hoping before I go up to get a message from one of them to say, yeah, come on. One of them almost died recently from being in the hospital. He of the two ought to really invite me. But they don't. New wine, old wine skin. Notice verse 17, neither is, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is to put into, be put into fresh wineskins and then both are preserved. An understanding of grace apart from the law will set you free. You try to stick grace into a context of law which is done all the time, you will mess up grace. I asked this question maybe way too much, but in your sweet tea, and I had one of these things happen at a restaurant. It was a chicken restaurant over on the south side of town, and I was eating my fried chicken and enjoying my large sweet tea that I used to drink in a glass. And I looked down and there was a roach floating in the bottom of the sweet tea. There he was. Swimming, just, just doing this kind of thing. So what did I do? I lifted the glass of tea and finished it. No, I did not. I politely lifted the glass of tea to the waitress and said, There's a roach in the tea right here. How many roaches do you want in your sweet tea? The answer is zero. How much law in that Old Testament and that old religious thought do you want in grace? None. Corinthian calls it a ministry of death. Well, you got to pray so much to be spiritual. You've got to come to church so much to be spiritual. And you've got to witness to this many people to, to, to grow as a Christian. And you need to read your Bible 12 hours a day to, to really, all those things are vital and important, but they don't get you anywhere. That's law. That's law. How much law do you want in your grace? How much of that old wineskin of mentality, it can't handle the living, growing life of Jesus Christ in us? It can One criticism I would love of our church is we're having too much joy and celebration down here. They're not serious enough. Yes, we are serious about Christ. We are serious about the loss. But one criticism I... We are to be a people of joy and celebration. Because grace is alive. Christ is alive here. Drop three things in your lap and then I'll be done. Three things in your lap quickly... And then I shall be finished. Tell me you've got those three things. You don't. I have to go by. If you'll notice, I don't have any notes written down for the sermon. Skip it and go home. That's what we want to do. Come on, Bev. I'll give it to you the best I know. Joy. Joy is to be the celebration of the path of our life. A joyous celebration should be our constant diet and path. We should live with a, a free and light spirit. Do you know why kids are so carefree? It's a simple answer. They don't, they're not aware of the pressures of life. They don't know anything about a mortgage, an electric bill. They don't know anything about a, a, a jerky cousin or a you know a grown. They don't know about the neighbors being stupid with them. They don't know about life and 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 they don't know. They're inoculated to the pressures of life. You say, Well, there's no way to be like it. Jesus said, unless you come to me as a child, you can't come to me. A child all they know is I got a mom and dad, and they love me and take care of me, and I don't worry about my next. Month. the grandkids won't worry. Oh, what are we going to eat tonight? Are we going to eat, Pop? I have to call them in and say the spaghetti's ready, ready to go in your lap, right here. Just, just come, come sit at the table and eat. We are to live lives as children of God, fully trusting Him in joyous celebration. I'll tell you another thing. Everything else should be rejected theologically. Any kind of position or teaching or or, or anything that brings you into bondage should be rejected outright. The Galatians had a problem with their freedom that they had given it back. Paul said no. Embrace your freedom that is in Jesus Christ and live free. And that's just about the two things I remember. I got a third, but it's just going to be gone. Lord wasn't meant for it to be here. Oh, there it is! <laughs> Bev, you are about ready to go home, but you can't go home now. That's the only one I That's the only? Yes. I would do one more addition to that. J is for Jesus. Forget about others and yourself. When you're fully focused on Jesus Christ, the others and yourself are reactions. There's not three things you need to focus on. There's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. Because our ever-growing life, his ever-growing life in is our reality. This is real. This isn't words from a preacher. This is, this is life to us. And that ever-growing life is like wine within us. Giving us joy. Lord Jesus, I pause and pray and ask you, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that they would abandon the old wineskin to embrace the new wine of the life of Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone here who's never trusted Christ and as their savior, that they cry out, to, cry out to the Lord to save them. I pray for the rest of us who know the Lord that we, you would give us, that you have given us light hearts, unburdened from the things of this world, because you are our reality, not those things. Not those things. That you are present life. And by your grace, we have great joy. All the time. All the time. I pray this in Christ's name.